Hallelujah. Man, God is good. <laughs> and all the time. Even when we don't realize it, man, even when we don't see him working, even when we don't feel him working, man, he is still so good. And, and it's like, the, like they were saying, man, his goodness chases after us and chases after us and chases after us. Mm. You know, I remember one of the weirdest days of my entire life. Um, so I, I was working for a, for a corporation, and we got called into the boardroom. And so when we got called into the boardroom, there was a bunch of weird people in suits in there that I had never seen before in my life. And uh, they let us know that we were being outsourced. Yeah, yeah, we're being, yeah, you guys are being outsourced. And I was like, what, is, what does that mean, I'm being outsourced? Like, are you, like, are people from India going to do our job now? I mean, is that what's going on? And um, they were like, oh, no. No, 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 see, the, the, your, your department is just being sold to a big, giant mega corporation. And we're actually going to rehire all of you. It's just a formality, but you're going to work for a different company. You're not going to leave your desk. You're not going to leave any of your duties. You're going to be the same. You're just going to transfer, like, like employment to, to this different corporation. I was like, well, okay, well, why do I care? They're like, but you actually do have to fill out an application. You have to submit a resume. Now, you're going to be hired. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's okay. And, and I was feeling kind of sketchy, like, I don't, I don't know that we're going to be hired. And uh, but just a formality to fill out this paperwork, though. And so, as you can imagine, we spent like the rest of the next two days just like doing our resumes when we were supposed to be working and filling out our applications and submitting them online, right? And so I remember, I, you know, filled out, I did, you know, updated my resume and put all my different certifications on there and all my work experience and everything. And, uh, you know, I was youth pastor at the time and, and I put my, you know, that I was youth pastor and I was involved in a couple of other organizations, you know, Christian faith-based organizations around. And of course I put down all my experience and, you know, what I was doing in those realms. And, you know, the day came for us to, you know, they came, the, the folks from the big company came and we, you know, took our resumes to them and we'd already turned in our applications online. And they, uh, you know, the, later that afternoon, they called me into the office, you know, this big wig from wherever. And uh, he was like, yeah, have a seat. I need to talk to you for a minute. I was like, okay. And so he slid my resume across the, across the desk to me. And he was like, yeah, I need you to take this stuff off. And I was like, what for? And he said, well, he said, you know, this like pastoring and things. He said, that's fine. He said, it just doesn't really pertain to the job. And, and I don't know why you would need to include that when you have plenty of other experience that would make you a viable candidate for the jobs. You don't really need to include that. And then the, the, the other reason is this, that, you know, if the wrong person, you know, sees this, then it's really going to hurt your chances, uh, you know, not only for the job, but for future advancement, you know, in, in the company. So why would you want to risk it? So I was like, let me see if I'm hearing you correctly. I don't hear so good sometimes, right, babe? I don't hear so good. So you want me to take all the Jesus stuff off my resume because you think that it's going to affect my future? And this dude looked at me cold, dead pan and was like, yes. And I was like, I'm not sure that you heard what you just said. And I was like, let me explain something to you, man. 
see all the rest of this stuff here on my resume? And he was like, yeah, very impressive. And I was like, well, thanks. I said, this is what I do. It's what I do. You know, my, my Bachelor of Science is what I do. You know, my, my certified, my, you know, virtualization certifications and networking certification. This is what I do. Uh, what I can do can change. What, what, I, what I do might change like right now. You know, I might decide that I want to do something different. I said, but this other part, this other section up here that you're asking me to remove, that's not what I do. That's who I am. And I might change what I do, but ain't nothing on this earth ever going to change who I am. Can somebody say amen? I'm not going to change who I am. See, this part of me down here, what I do, this VMware stuff and BS stuff, it's for sale. It's for sale. I'll sell it to you. I'll, I'll sell you my networking expertise. I'll sell you my virtualization expertise. I'll sell you how to build servers and build storage arrays. I'll sell all that to you. This part up here that says who I am, my friend, that is not for sale. Can you say amen? And that's not exactly what I said, but that's what I meant. It's what I meant. And what I did say was this is, this is, not, this is what I do and this part is who I am. And I'm never, I might change what I do, but I'll never, ever in my life ever change who I am. And, and what I told the guy was this. What I, and this is literal. What I literally said to the guy was this. I need you to know who it is that you're hiring. And, and that's the reason that I'm going to leave this on there. Because I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who I stand for. And if you don't want me to work for your company, then that's okay. Because I work for this guy right here. And that's how it's going to stay for all of my life. And so they hired me. And they promoted me three times. And then when they unoutsourced us, they offered me a job in Ireland and my wife wouldn't go. <laughs> Would you guys stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? <laughs> I'm glad that we didn't go, baby. I'm glad that we didn't go. I'm glad we didn't go. Because it would have been cool. But we wouldn't be here right now. And I'll tell you what, there's no place that I'd rather be. Somebody say amen. I'm in the book of Mark in chapter 8. And I'm excited to read from the King James Version of the Bible this morning. Starting in verse 27. Starting in verse 27 in Mark chapter 8. And the Bible says this. And Jesus went out. And, and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Can somebody say amen? And he spake to them saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that scene? Oh, crazy Peter's talking to the Lord of all creation, the one that spoke the universe into existence, and he's going to rebuke him. He's going to rebuke him. 
But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever, say whosoever. Now say it like you mean it. I said say whosoever. Will save his life, will lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Uh, for what shall it profit a man? And this is the reason that I chose this version today. Verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh into the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Pray with me this morning. God, today we stand unashamed. Unashamed of who you are. Unashamed of who we are in you, God. And we don't want what the world has to offer. Because we've seen it. And we've tasted it, and it come up short, God. The only thing that delivers, the only thing that continues to deliver, the only thing that still tastes sweet after all these years is you. And Lord, we praise you, and we worship you, and we know that you're worth it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give him a shout of praise, and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> How much? How much will it take? What's your faith worth to you? What will you sell it for? What will you trade it for? I mean, come on, how much is it worth? How much is it worth? How much is your faith worth to you? Is, it, is, is trading your faith, is selling your faith worth some kind of pleasure you can experience on this side of the earth? Is, is your faith worth escaping some kind of pain that you can get away from here on the earth? How much is it worth? What's it worth to you, man? What is your faith worth to you? What is your faith? And, and, and our first response is, my faith is not for sale. I'm strong in the Lord. They can't get me to sell my faith in Jesus for nothing. And yet the reality is it doesn't take much. We sell a little bit more of it every single day. Every time that the Lord Jesus Christ slides down list of priorities in our life, we're selling a little bit of our faith. Every time that we choose something over him, every time that we choose something over serving him, over worshiping him, over giving of ourselves to him, every single time we lose a little bit more of our faith and a little bit more of ourself. And we do it every day. And we do it all the time. And like I said, our first response is, I would never do that. But the reality says something different. It says that our faith is for sale. It says that our faith is for sale. Who do they say? Who do they say that I am? It was the question that Jesus asked his disciples, and he was he was sitting, 
He was sitting at Caesarea Philippi. He was, he was sitting around this place that was known as the gates of hell. That was the same place where later he would say that I'll build on the, you know, this is the word that I'll build my church on and the gates of hell will never overcome it. And he was sitting in front of a literal place. It was a temple to the demon god Pan that you've read about in Greek mythology. You know, the little fellow with the goat legs and the horns that blew on the pipe. It was a temple that was dedicated to that evil demon god. And here's what they used to do. They used to throw babies. Hear me. They used to throw babies off the top of that waterfall and into that pit where the water, right, Vince? Uh, where that water was. And that would be how they would sacrifice their children to the demon God. And Jesus Christ was sitting right in front of the place. We'd been there. We looked upon it. And, and, and that's what they would do. And this is where he's asking this question. Who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And, of course, the disciples answered, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, and some people say you're Elijah, and some people say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And that's ugly. And it might not seem that way because those were some great people. Those were some powerful people that they were and that, were, that he was. John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets. Elijah, the most powerful man of God from the Old Testament. Jeremiah, the prophet of doom that was a young man and walked into the king's court and you're all going to hell. Come on, dude. These are some powerful men of God. And yet undervaluing the Son of God is what they were doing. Undervaluing the Son of God. Because if you can make him less valuable, listen to me closely, if you can make him less valuable than what he is, then it's easier for you to sell him. If they can reduce his value in your life, then it makes it easier for them to buy your faith from you because it's not worth as much to you as it's supposed to be. Now think about our culture for a minute. Who do they say that he is? Who do they say that he is? Well, most people say that he's a fraud, that he never, that's the new thing, he never existed. Jesus never existed. Or some folks say, oh, he was a great moral teacher. He was a great moral teacher. Oh, he was a spiritual guru. Or the new one on the block is this. Oh, he was a socialist. He was a socialist revolutionary. I mean, I mean those are the things, like when we ask today, who do they say that I am? Who do they say that it is? These are the things that they say. Do you know why that they say these things? To reduce his value. To reduce his value. Because if he's any of those things, then he's for sale. Then he's for sale then our faith in him is for sale. If he's any of those things, then he's for sale. You know, when you go to the store, they have a scratch and dent section because things that have been damaged have had their value reduced. And when their value has been reduced, they sell for less. You know, when people see the, the thing that you posted on the Facebook, you're selling your car on the marketplace. And then they begin to get there to your house. They begin to look at it. Well, it's got a scratch here, and it's got a dent here, and you didn't tell me about the miles that it has here, and it's got a thing here. And so they're doing that to you so that they can reduce the value of what it is that you have so that they can buy it from you at less price. And that's what they're trying to do with our faith. That's why our faith is constantly under attack, so they can make it of less value to us so it'll be easier for us to part with, easier for us to sell, easier for us to sell. But I tell you what, guys, Jesus Christ is not John the Baptist, and Jesus Christ is not Elijah, and Jesus Christ is not Jeremiah or one of the prophets.
and he's not a fraud and he's not a spiritual guru and he's not a socialist revolutionary and he's not a great moral teacher Jesus Christ is the first and the last Jesus Christ is the alpha and the omega Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, the Jewish Messiah and the Gentile Savior. He is the one that came and lived and died and rose again. And way church, he's the one that's coming back to split that eastern sky and claim his bride for all time. For all time. He is the son of the living God. He is the one that spoke the universe into existence. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And everything that was made was made through him, and nothing that was made was made without him. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the darkness will never, ever, 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 ever overcome it. And he came filled with truth and grace, and his his name was Jesus. Can somebody give him some praise at the White Church this morning? Don't let them steal his value from you. Don't let them steal his value from you. Because that's what the world will try to do is make you, make you believe that there's something else on this earth that is worth more than him to you. That they'll try to make you believe that there's something else that's worth more than him. You know, they'll make you, <laughs> they'll try to make you believe, they'll try to make you believe that a stack of hundreds is worth more than Jesus. They'll try to make you believe that a good credit score is worth more than Jesus. They'll try to make you believe that a, a boat on the lake and a, and a motorcycle in your garage and, 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 and the fanciest whatever you have in your house is worth more to you than Jesus. The world will try to make you believe that fame and popularity is worth more to you than Jesus. And here's the enemy's slickest lies. The world will try to make you believe that your spouse or your significant other is worth more to you than Jesus. They'll try to make you believe that they'll try to make you believe that your children are worth more to you than Jesus. And I know that that's a hard truth for some of you to believe. And I, I, I know it is. I, I've had those conversations with people. I've had those conversations where they're like, ah. I just can't love God more than my kids, then you don't really love your kids. Because the only way that you can truly experience and truly live out the love that is God is to love God more than anything else that you have in your entire life. Because when I love God like I'm supposed to, I can love her in a way that I never, ever, 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 ever could otherwise. When I, when I love God, when God's at my center, I can love my boys and I can love our extra girls just as much as I ever, ever could, more than I ever could otherwise in my life. Way more, way more, way more. Our faith can't be for sale, Way Church. Our faith can't be for sale. And they try to give us some scratch and dent Savior that's not worth as much as he's really worth. Let me tell you this, that Jesus Christ is worth than all the other culmination of creation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Take everything else in all of creation and add it up and put it on one side of the scale. And you just put this humble, loving carpenter from the wrong side of the tracks 
Oh, yeah, that also happens to be a fire-eyed, white-haired, bronze-skinned Savior that's coming back with a sword in his mouth. On the other side, and all of creation comes up short in the measurement. Let me tell you what he's worth. Let me tell you what he's worth. And so I get it like this. I get it like this because I know it's very real to me. To some people, it's theory, and that's okay. But to me, it's real because without him, I'm dead. Do you hear me? Like, without him, I'm very, very dead. I'm dead. Without him, I don't have a wife. Without him, I don't have children. Without him, I don't have a relationship with my mom and my aunt. Without him, I'm nothing. Without him, I'm dead. Without him, I'm dead, or at the very least, without him, I'm locked in a prison cell for the rest of my life. Without him, I have nothing. Without him, I've had nothing. Like, that's why he's worth more than everything else in my life. It's because without him, I don't have a life. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you may not realize it today, but the exact same thing is true for you. The exact same thing is true for you. Without him, you don't have a life. Without him, you don't have a life. And I ain't even made it to eternity yet. I'm just talking about right now, walking around, talking and breathing and whatnot. Without him, there's nothing. Without him, there's nothing. Without him, there's nothing. And then he starts telling them what he's about to do. He begins to teach them what he's going to do. I have to go and be rejected by the elders. I have to go and be betrayed by my whole country. I have to go and I have to die. But I'm going to rise again three days later. But his disciples tried to undervalue the mission too. Do you read that in the scripture? Peter rebuked him. No. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You have to do that. He's trying to undervalue the mission. He's trying to undervalue the purpose. People are going to do that to you too. You're going to say, oh, no, I'm going to be at church early because I have to help do the thing and the other thing. And they're going to be like, no, man, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. It's like, oh, we got to do our Bible study tonight at the, at the dinner table. And, and, and somebody's going to be like, no, we don't have to do that tonight. Sometimes it's me. We don't have to do that tonight. We undervalue the mission that God has called us to. I've got to go share the gospel with everybody that I come into contact with. No, you don't have to do that. You can compromise that. You can sell that. You don't have to put this youth pastor stuff on your resume. It's going to hurt your future employment opportunities. You don't have to do that. You don't have to tell people that. People are going to try to get you to compromise the mission. Anybody ever get in your car and the stereo comes on and it's like, rattle, rattle, and they're like, can we, can we change... Can we, can we change that? Somebody ever come to your house and be like, how many Bibles do you have? Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Or you're like, I, you know, I've got to go to the, I got to go to the meeting on Friday night. And they're like, it's Friday night. It's Friday night. What kind of meeting are you going to? Let's go do something else. It's like, look, I've got a mission that I'm called to. Don't undervalue the mission. 
Don't undervalue the mission. Peter's standing there, you know, the number one disciple trying to undervalue the mission. Trying to get Jesus to sell part of his, part of his self. Part of his self. To gain something for himself. You know, Christianity has never been about self-preservation. It's always been about giving everything that we have to the kingdom of God. It's always been about sowing them seeds everywhere that we get an opportunity to sow them seeds. And if it costs us everything, then so what? More power to us because I got the opportunity to suffer and die for Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I ain't got no time for you. I got business to attend to. I hear the voice of the enemy coming out and he sounds a lot like you. And I don't like it. I don't like it. You ever hear the voice of the enemy that sounds a lot like your buddy? Sounds a lot like your friend? Sounds a lot like your family member? But like I preached on last week, if you know the voice of the enemy like I do because I served him for a long time, then you know when it's the voice of the enemy. You know when it's the voice of the enemy. So you got three choices. You can go with it, you can ignore it, or you can rebuke it like Jesus did. Can somebody say amen? And then Jesus says this. Whosoever wants to follow me needs to deny themselves, pick up their cross, follow me. It's funny. It's funny that that word deny that Jesus uses right there, that he uses right there in the book of Mark in chapter 8, that he uses again in chapter 9, that, that, that word, that Greek word, and it starts with A, I can't pronounce it, but that Greek word that he uses is the exact same Greek word that will be used in the book of Luke in chapter 22 when the Bible says that somebody came up to Peter and said, you were with him, weren't you? And the Bible says that Peter denied that he even knew him. Same word. Same word. Jesus says deny yourself. Peter denied Christ. Jesus says you need to deny that you even know yourself. You need to deny that you're following in your own footsteps. You need to deny everything about who you are and follow me. But that's not what happened. Peter instead denied Jesus, and way too often that's exactly what we do. We don't deny self, we deny him. We don't deny that we know ourselves, we deny that we know him. But we need to change that, and we need to change that now. It needs to be so that when somebody comes up to us and asks us to do something or, or sell part of our faith, that we can be like, I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't even know that guy. I don't even know that guy. I don't know who he is. I don't know who I used to be. I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea who that is. I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that. Because I've denied myself. I've denied myself for him. I've denied myself for him. Whoever tries to save their life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel 
those are the ones that are going to save him. And that's the exact opposite thing that our world is telling us right now. They're telling us, preserve yourself at all costs. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm not up here preaching a sermon on the thing that's going on. I don't care about this stuff. I'm talking about every part of your whole life. Not just since the virus started. Hey, stay safe. Be safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Don't go places you don't need to go. But I'll tell you what, if you do need to go somewhere for the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to go there. If you do need to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to do it. You need to do it. You need to do it. You know, I remember when they first put the restrictions out. When they very first put, it was the very first weekend that they put the restrictions out, and we were scheduled to be at Mission 615. And the other church that was supposed to be there canceled, and Pastor Eric called me, and he was like, man, he said, I've got to drive the bus that day because we don't have enough bus drivers. He said, you're supposed to be down here. Is there any way that you can preach the service? They couldn't keep me from preaching that service with dogs and guns and barbed wire. It was right after that tornado came through, man, and down there in Nashville that everybody forgot about. That everybody forgot about. And I was going down there and had another pastor that's a, that's a friend of mine, and he said, I can't believe that you guys are going to go down there and do that. And I was like, dude, listen to this. If I get sick and die because I was preaching the gospel under a bridge to a bunch of homeless people, then so be it because that was God's plan for my life. And I believe what it says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. That to die is gain, but to live is Christ. And if he still got something else for me to do, then guess what? I'll wake up tomorrow and the next day and next week. It's my faith is not for sale. My faith is not, not for sale. And the Bible says then in that next verse, it says, so what profit a man? What profit a man if he gains the whole world? The whole world. And loses his soul. Makes me think. Makes me think. Because how many times have I compromised? How many times have I compromised? How many times have I not done what God told me to do? How many times have I not done what I knew that God wanted me to do without Him specifically telling me to do it? You know, I was talking about the other, me and, me and my buddy, me and actually me and Pastor Eric were talking on Friday. You know, he's preaching out of the book of Nehemiah today about get up and do it. You know, his sermon is get up and do it. God put something on his heart, and he got up and he went and did it. And, and, and that's the deal. How often does God put something on our heart? Or maybe it's not like a voice from the Holy Spirit, but we read it in his word, and we know what we ought to do. Whether it's serve, whether it's forgive, that's a hard one for people. Did you know that holding bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart is a big old sin against God? You know, whether, whether it's serving or, or giving, or giving, you know, we're supposed to give to the kingdom of God. I know that's a no-no to talk about in the pulpit from the church, but, you know, if we don't give to the living God, that's a big old sin against God, too. 
You know, besides the list of not to do's, there's a whole lot of list of to do's. You know what I'm saying? Book of James says if we know what we ought to do and we still don't do it, then we are in sin. Can you say amen? And how often do we sell our faith? And we don't even sell it for a big income either. Man, we sell it for a little, some little piddly bit of nothing. You know why? Because the world has made it seem like it doesn't have any value. The world has made our faith, our Savior, our King, our salvation, our Holy Spirit seem like it doesn't have any value. And I'm sick of it because I'm here to tell you today that the power of the living God in our lives has more value than anything that the world can offer you. Because what profit a man if he gains the whole world? Man, if you had everything in the world handed to you, if you were the emperor of the entire world, I mean, if you had everything, if you controlled every country, if you had control of every piece of economic wealth, if you had every scrap of power, if you had all the fame across the whole earth, if you'd experienced every pleasure that the world has to offer, you're still going to come before the great white throne of God. And what are you going to have then? There's two choices. There's two choices. Because you're going to come there and you're going to stand before the throne of God. And if you spent your whole life relying on all that stuff that you had, you know what you're going to have? Nothing. Because the second that you take your last breath on this side of eternity, none of that stuff belongs to you anymore. None of it. None of it. You can't take it with you. So if you spent your life focusing on what this world has to offer, when you stand before the King of glory, you're going to stand there empty-handed. Empty-handed. Look, you can't take this stuff. You can't, you can't take this stuff. You, you can't take this stuff. You're going to be standing there empty-handed with nothing. And the Scripture says, Whosoever should be ashamed of me and my words in this sinful generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into glory. And so you'll stand there before God empty-handed. With nothing. Owing a debt. You hear me? Owing a debt that even if you owned everything in the world, you still couldn't afford. But there's another option. There's another option. Because if you, instead of focusing on all the profit, supposedly, that this world has to give you, 
If you instead put your focus, your faith, your hope, your love in the one who has more value than anything else in this world, if you put everything that you have, all the investment that you could come up with in Jesus Christ, when you stand there before the great white throne of judgment, do you know what you have? Everything. Everything. And it don't matter what you had on this side. You know, the poor man that, that sat outside the rich man's house, his name was Lazarus. That's not a coincidence. When he was raised to life, not in the physical, but in the spiritual, he got to experience all of heaven. And he was so poor that he sat out there in front of this guy's house begging for scraps. And the dogs licked his wounds because he was too weak to even shoo them away. But on the other side, on the other side, he had it all. He had it all. So it doesn't matter what you have here. If you put your faith and your hope and your love in Jesus Christ, man, when you make it to the other side, you have everything. Can somebody say amen? What can you exchange for your soul? See, you can't buy your way out of hell. You can't buy your way out of hell. Nothing that you have in your life is worth enough. But in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, it says that you were bought at a price. That you were bought at a price. You see, the world tries to decrease the value of eternity and increase the value of this world. But I just need you to understand that there's nothing worth more. That there's nothing in all creation that's worth more than our Savior and our king. Just listen to this scripture that's going to be very familiar to a lot of you. Because one day in his presence, do you hear me? One day in his presence is worth more. One day in his presence is worth more than hundreds and thousands and millions and eternities elsewhere. Let me ask you this. If God wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go? Now listen, there's still streets made of gold and still walls made of jasper. 
And still there's no more tears and and no more sickness, but God's not there. Do you want to go? It's a hard decision. It's a hard decision. Because isn't that what we quest for? Oh, one day. One day I'll be reunited with so-and-so and so-and-so. And one day, we'll have streets of gold. And one day, there'll be no more suffering and no more pain. And oh, I want to go. But I have to tell you the truth. I'm not even going to notice any of that stuff. I could be in an old rickety shack in the wrong side of town. I could be in a desert wasteland somewhere. I could be in the deepest depths or the highest heights because I'm not even going to know any of that stuff because I don't want to go for any of that stuff. I just want to go and I just want to gaze upon His glory. I just want to gaze upon His glory. I just want to keep my eyes fixed on Him for all of eternity. Can you say amen? So no, I don't want to go. If God's not there, I don't want to go. I want to go where He is. I want to go where He is. I want to be where He is. Because He's worth more to me than anything else. I want to go where He is. I want to be where He is. And guys, that doesn't start after I leave, after I breathe my last breath on this side of eternity. It starts right here. It starts right now. I just want to be where he is. Because what profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Man, if I try to save my life, I'll lose it. But if I give my life for him, then I gain everything. Then I gain everything. I just want to be where he is. I just want to be where he is. And if that means he wants me here, I want to be here. And if that means he wants me at the house, I want to be at the house. If that means that he wants me under a bridge, that's where I want to be. I just want to be where he is.